Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad that you're here. I would like to offer a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're very glad that you are here. We come from a long heritage of faith communities that teach that there is a spark of the divine in every human being. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. I'm the lay leader this morning, Michael Seneschal Labrookian. Luke 4.18, using Isaiah's vision of paradise to define the mission of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, to display his glory. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. People ask, how do you have worship when you all come from different backgrounds with your roots in Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, humanism, earth-based traditions? How, what holds you together? And you all call yourselves Unitarian Universalists. One of the things that I answer when people ask that is that at this church, one of the things that holds us together is our mission, which the congregation voted on and we wrote it on our wall. And we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading is from our Gray Hymnal 704. It's by John Murray, the Unitarian Reverend John Murray. Go out into the highways and byways. Give the people something of your new vision. You may possess a small light, but uncover it. Let it shine. Use it in order to bring more light and understanding to the hearts and minds of men and women. Give them not hell, but hope and courage. Preach the kindness and everlasting love of God. Now is the time in our service when we breathe together, when we breathe deeply down into that place inside where we are who we are. We breathe into that space of stillness. This is the place where we can Listen to God as we understand God, or where we can hear our own inner wisdom speaking, or that place where we can just follow our breath and be still. In any of these ways, we breathe on that spark of the divine that lives within us.
the reason we do this, for clarity. for rest, for strength. We want to have sturdy, centered hearts. So that we can know how to address the suffering of the world that comes across our path. And so that we can know when it is time to add to the joy of the world and redress the balances in that way. We hold in our hearts all the people who are ill, who suffer from financial worries, family worries. People who are in harm's way because of war, natural disaster. We hold in our hearts still the people of the Philippines and the people of the Central African Republic. We search for wisdom. We search for clarity. We search for the strength to be unafraid. You're now invited to light candles of joy, sorrow, or memory. Let us continue our meditation with the Buddhist loving-kindness meditation, or meta-meditation. We say this three times. I say a line, and you say it after me, should you choose to. The first time through, we say this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say this for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. And the third time, as a spiritual exercise, we say this for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. Our Unitarian Universalist faith tradition draws on at least six sources. And one of those sources is named as the prophetic deeds of great men and women of throughout history and of our time as well. So since we believe that revelation is not closed in a book, but is ongoing and um, ever uh, 
revealing itself, truth is ever revealing itself in the lives of people, we could look at the life of, say, Nelson Mandela and see in it a, a, a instruction on how to be patient, how to be courageous, how to be fierce in the face of violence and injustice. This morning, we're going to look at a different prophetic person, um, a person who brought universalism to the new world before it was the United States. In 1770, John Murray landed in the new world. He didn't land where he thought he was going to land. He kind of washed up on shore, a defeated man, 29 years old. He had been in debtor's prison because his family had gotten very sick. And he was a businessman, but he was not that successful a businessman. He was a little too uh, interested in preaching. He was a, a lay preacher, and he, he and his wife Eliza went to all different churches in London to hear the different preachers. And um, he, was a, he had been a Methodist. He was a Methodist lay preacher, but he fell in love with the preaching of this man named uh, John Relly. And Relly was preaching universal salvation. And it made a lot of sense to Murray and his wife. Murray um, was in debtor's prison because his wife had gotten sick. Her family had gotten sick. His family had gotten sick. He was paying a lot of medical bills. Then their one-year-old baby got sick. Uh, and then his, he got thrown in jail. And his wife and his baby died while he was in there. And he, had, he was a deeply religious person. He had been raised by parents who were very strict, and they used to quiz him about the sermon that he had just heard. When he was seven, eight, nine years old, they would quiz him about what the sermon had been about, and if he didn't get it right, he got his ears boxed or he got caned. Um, so uh, he grew up thinking a lot about hell, because that's what most of the sermons were about in that time. And it was marvelous to him that there was a preacher who was preaching that God was too loving to send people to hell. And that God managed to save everybody. But when he learned of his wife and his baby's death, he vowed that he was no longer going to have to do anything. He was not going to have anything to do with religion anymore. He was not going to preach anymore he was just going to disappear. And in those days, when you wanted to disappear, you came to the New World, where you could disappear. Here's what happened. And this is a Unitarian and Universalist faith story, which means that it is true in a deep way, whether or not it is historically true. So we don't know if it's historically true. But here we go. He um, booked passage on a ship called the Hand in Hand, whose captain was uh, setting a sail for New York. But because of a slight miscalculation, they ended up in Philadelphia, where um, 
most of the people got off. And they, they were like, no, this is close enough. Seriously, we don't need to get back on your boat. Um, okay. And uh, John Murray was almost the only passenger left on the boat when they were going up the New Jersey coast toward New York. And they ran aground off of a um, cape called Good Luck, New Jersey. And so they're stuck on a sandbar. No place to go. There's no wind to get them off the sandbar. Even when the tide comes up, they're just becalmed and still stuck. And there's no food on board, really, because they already used everything that they had on board to get across the ocean. And so the captain asks John Murray if he will volunteer to go ashore and find them some food. So he um, according to different stories, either wades or rows ashore. And um, he comes to a clearing in the woods, which there were woods in New Jersey back then. And um, he comes to a cl- There are. There still are. I'm just, it's a New Jersey joke. Sorry. So he comes through the woods, and he uh, comes to a clearing, and there's a farmer in a nice farmhouse uh, cleaning fish on the front porch. And beside the farmhouse... There's a little chapel made out of sawed pine logs. And um, so the farmer says, hi, my name is Thomas Potter. And um, I noticed your ship ran aground. And Murray says, yes, um, ran aground. This whole story is in a little book of children's stories for you, you children called You, You, and Me. And so, um, yeah, it's a very cute book. So, um, Thomas Potter says, uh, I had a little voice in my head that said that you might be the preacher I've been looking for. Are you a preacher? And John Murray says, no, I am not. And Thomas Potter says, well, have you ever preached? And Murray really can't lie. So he says, well, you know, I don't know. Used to, but I've given it up. And Thomas Potter says, listen, you can have the fish, take them back to the ship, then come back over and have supper with my wife and me. We don't get many com- many visitors, and so you will entertain us with conversation, and we'll find out all about each other. And so Murray takes the fish back to the ship and comes back to Thomas Potter's house, and they have dinner, and Potter probes him and says, you know, he, he says, listen, you said you used to preach. Do you, are you curious about why I have a chapel right there? And Murray says, yeah, um, what is that all about? And he said, well, listen, I've gone to many, 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 many sermons in my life, and I have not found one that makes a bit of sense to me. And God said, if I built this chapel, there would come a preacher who would make sense to me. And I think you might be the man. And John Murray says, yeah, I don't think so. I um, know I I am not interested in any of that anymore. And Potter says, all right, I'll make you a deal. You come here for dinner every night till your ship sails away. And if you're still here on Sunday, which is about three days hence, you're still here on Sunday, you'll preach. You'll preach a sermon for my friends and for me. And Murray says, okay, fine, sure. 
whatevs. I'm paraphrasing. So every night, um, they have dinner, and sure enough, by Sunday, there's been no wind, and the ship has been unable to move. And so John Murray does preach in Thomas Potter's chapel for Potter and for his friends, and he preaches the first universalist sermon on, uh, on the soil of New Jersey. And Potter says, of course, that's it. That's what I've been waiting for. I think you are a wonderful preacher because, you know, um, Potter, along with many of us, had been surrounded by preaching about hell. And he knew, I'm not sure if he put it this way, but this is what universalist theology says, that if you have a hell then it makes a rift in the whole fabric of existence. You have this world that's supposed to be a gift. You have this God who's supposed to be the God of love. And yet there's this hell simmering down there making people crazy. And it makes people in a way dissociative because you have to believe that your God is loving and that this hell is simmering right there. You see, and you have to believe that some of the beautiful uh, Jewish or Buddhist or Hindu people or non-religious people that you know are going to burn, sizzle, and fry when they die. There's actually a song that I heard in college that had those words in it. Um, I did not make that up. How could you? Somebody did. I don't know. So you have to believe these things, and yet... You're not supposed to throw yourself upon them screaming that they need to be changed in order not to have this happen to them. So you have to stay cool while still believing that this terrible thing is going to happen to them. I think it makes you a little, a little crazed in your head. So, and it makes people do awful things. Um, it makes people throw their gay children out of the house because... Their preachers tell them that they are responsible for the souls of their children and that if their children don't get saved, then it's on them and they won't be saved either. And so they're responsible for the souls of all the people that they come into contact with. And so they have to talk about nothing but um, religion and their view of it with the people that they come in contact with because otherwise they're not doing they're not rescuing. They're not. It's just like they're lifesavers in the world, and they're not doing their life-saving job if they don't talk about it. So the lady that does my hair has to tell me about Jesus because if she doesn't, once she finds out, once she, once she says to me, uh, so what's the Unitarian church about? <laughs> you know, I'm like, first of all, it's not Unitarian. It's just Unitarian. Um. <laughs> And you have to believe that humanity is fallen and and you have a deep kind of wickedness inside. And you have to not only believe that, but you have to believe that the whole creation is fallen and that the creation has uh, brokenness at its heart. And all of that is is just not a wonderful way to live. So... um, Thomas Potter wanted something different 
and universalism is what gave that to him. Um, what else do I want to tell you? Yeah, I'm just reading through it to see what's interesting in here. You know, it all seems interesting on Saturday, but on Sunday morning, not so much. John Murray stayed on these shores. I keep wanting to say he stayed in the United States, but it's pre-United States, so that's what's tripping me up. But anyway, he stayed in America, and um, he became a chaplain in the Revolutionary Army under George Washington. And then after he was a chaplain in the Revolutionary War, then he got a, a church in Massachusetts, and he became a universalist preacher um, married into an artsy family, the Sargent family up there, and had many wonderful um, years as an American. So universalism had a great big flowering in the United States. Not so much under John Murray, because he was very much still a uh, person who said, uh, God demands payment for sins, but Jesus' blood pays for your sins, and so you just need to acknowledge that Jesus' blood pays for your sins, and God will save everybody. Um, further along, about 30 years later, was a preacher named Hosea Ballou, who really did uh, make the foundational theological argument for the universalism that we um, that we acknowledge today as part of our denominational heritage. And Hosea Ballou took it even farther and said, really, there can be no hell because it makes God the kind of God that you could not worship. And it makes love a loving God, which is the axiom upon which he wanted to ground his faith. It makes that a lie. I remember hearing on uh, NPR a songwriter from Lubbock, Texas. This is when I was still living in South Carolina. And um, I thought about Lubbock. I had ideas about what Lubbock might look like. I've seen it now. <laughs> Charming town. And this songwriter said... Um, well, in Sunday school in Lubbock, we were taught two things. One, that God loved you and that he'd send you straight to hell. And two, that sex is dirty and dangerous and you should save it for the one you love. <laughs> but the universalist churches, because of Hosea Ballou taught that God was love and that anything that argued with that in your mind or in common sense is not true, cannot be true. Cannot be true. He would say with our Unitarian forebearer, William Ellery Channing, in the early 1800s, they would both say, listen, you would go to jail for burning one of your children if they made a mistake. 
Yes, we frown on that behavior in parenting. And so why would you worship a parent God who would burn not only a little bit, but for eternity, his children for making a mistake? Why would you do that? Why would you worship a God like that? And why would you imagine that we have better ideas about parenting than God does? Now, that is an argument that makes sense. And they would say, if it doesn't make sense to you, it can't be true. Whereas other folks would say, well, it doesn't make sense because your mind is broken and fallen and you uh, are seeing the underside of the big tapestry and it looks like a mess, but if you saw it from the top, it would make sense and uh, God could be loving and send you to hell and it works out on the top of the tapestry. It just doesn't work out from down here and, and all of the universalist preachers went, bah! There was a father who was very worried about his son drinking, I think I've told you this story before, drinking in the bars, and he called Hosea Ballou to come help him save his son's soul. And Hosea Ballou said, I will do that. Let's go to where the bar is, and on the corner in the field by the bar, we'll build a big bonfire, and then when your child comes out of the bar, we'll throw him in it. And the father was like, what? That's crazy. And Ballou went, right crazy. God's not going to do it either. Hosea Ballou was the one who, when he was riding a circuit in the churches, um, he met up with the circuit riding uh, Baptist minister and they had a little hail fellow conversation. And the the Baptist minister said, um, and this was a time when they wouldn't let universalists serve on juries because they felt that the fear of hell well, is not what was keeping them in line. And so it kind of was kind of scary. They didn't know what to do with universalists. And so you had to believe in hell to be on a jury. Um, so this fellow said, you're that universalist uh, preacher, aren't you? And he said, yes, sir, I am. He said, so, so according to your theology, I could uh, rob you and knock you in the head and take your horse and your money, and I wouldn't go to hell at all for it. Is that right? And Baloo is said to have said, "Uh, Sir, if you were a universalist, that thought would never have occurred to you. (laughs) There was a lot of pushback to universalism because people were scared of hell and they felt that being scared of hell is what kept everybody else behaving so well. And, um, in fact, uh, in Gloucester, where um, Murray was in the middle of a sermon one Sunday, a large rock sailed through the stained glass window behind him, narrowly missing his head. And uh, Murray, who was apparently never at a loss for words, uh, reached down and picked up the rock, and he said, This argument is solid and weighty, but it is neither rational nor convincing. So, our job in this hell-haunted place is to hold out the idea that God would not love and torture people at the same time. 
I think John Murray is the patron saint of those of us who are stuck. Those of us who are running from what we are supposed to do. Those of us who have a calling and don't want to pursue it because of whatever reason. And in this faith story, we learn that circumstances will conspire like little border collies nipping at your heels to get you to the place where you will finally realize or be guided, like with Thomas Potter, or pushed, really, pushed to do what it is the universe is wanting you to do. So see how John Murray works for you as a patron saint of those who are stuck. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org